I have placed information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. My father will know how to retrieve it. You must see this droid safely delivered to him on Alderaan. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. One of the great privileges of being at MWC, whether it's in Barcelona or here in Los Angeles, is to be able to witness some of the latest and coolest innovations you'll ever see. We've seen some great things so far already this week, and in our opening clip you would no doubt recall the famous scene in Star Wars where Princess Leia delivers her communication via a holographic message. As young children we marvelled at such science fiction. Well. It's no longer fiction. We've seen it here at this event. And as I am recording this intro twice already, a robotic dog has wandered past the window. Yes. So today we're going to be speaking about dogs, Star Wars and holograms, amongst other things. Welcome to The Great Indoors, a podcast where we look at the lasting technological changes brought about by the pandemic and how technology could potentially help solve the other challenges facing humanity. I'm your host, Matt Roberts, and joining me is my co-pilot and producer, Larissa Yee. So today is the third in our special MWC Los Angeles episodes. We are coming to you from Mobile World Congress. And over the last week, we've had a recording studio on prominent display at the event, and I've had some amazing conversations with some of the industry's leading figures. So today, we're going to be speaking to the CEO of Core, Romil Barr, the CTO of iKing, Taylor Scott, and the founder and CEO of Cleverfy, Mario Suave. I'd like to welcome you all to the great indoors today. So my next guest today here at MWC LA on the Great Indoors is the CEO of Core, Mr. Rommel Ball. And, and Core have made um, a lot of noise at the event so far. So first of all, welcome, Rommel, to the hey, Great Indoors. Matt, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Now, the first question I'm asking everybody, and it's kind of the strap line for, for this event, is... How does it feel to be back? <laughs> Look, it's fantastic to be back. Although I have to say that I don't really feel like we were gone much. We were one of the few sort of true supporters of the GSMA. We made the trek to MWC Barcelona uh, in oh. late June. Uh, I have to tell you, after 18 months of the great indoors, yes. um, it was like a bastard of jail. And, <laughs> and, and I mean, I, you know, first of all, it's such a fantastic city anyway, isn't it, Barcelona? And then yes. uh, to really have some fun, I, I actually told my wife before I left, I said, honey, I know this is going to sound crazy to you, but I'm actually going to take an extra day just to walk around and have some fun. So yeah, look, it's great to be back. It's great to be with people. Yeah. It does make a difference uh, to sort of break bread together to meet and uh uh, I'm just delighted to to continue to support these events. Brilliant, brilliant. And um, we we spoke about Barcelona at length uh, with the GSMA yesterday. Mm. It was always like one of those cities that you would pay that annual pilgrimage to. Exactly. And you had your, your the rest your favorite restaurants, and obviously it's for us anyway. For me, uh, it's been a while, so I'm looking forward to getting back there. So tell us a little bit, uh, Rommel, if you will, about Core, because I think you've got probably one of the most impressive setups uh, here at the show. <laughs> this week. So give us a bit of a history of, of the organization and, and, and what you guys do. 
Well, I appreciate that. The uh, the impressive setup on a relatively small budget from a relatively small company is credit my marketing team, to be honest. But mm-hmm. uh, but look, let's talk about the company. I, I joined the company, Matt, about four years ago. <clears throat> and if you knew who Core was, um, or if you even knew who we are today, you would probably think of us as an IoT connectivity provider, CAS provider, connectivity as a service, yeah. right? The thesis that led to uh, the, the asset that I was handed by the private equity company that, that owned it at the time, uh, because we actually just went public yeah, just two that. weeks ago, yeah. <laughs> but uh, at the time, uh, was that the world needs a global independent provider of connectivity, right? I mean, look, it's it's obviously relatively uh, simple to, to, to you know, most carriers have natural boundaries. It's called the border of the country they're in. Yes. Right? So that's where their network extends to. Now, if you need to be in multiple countries, and most all of IoT wants to be in this connected planet, <clears throat> you do need a solution where you don't necessarily have to have 30, 50, 70, 100 carrier partners and contracts and platforms to log into and 100 bills to triage. I mean, it's it's what's held IoT back in many ways is that complexity. And so that's what that's the problem that Core solved. And that's fantastic, and we've invested into it, and we're believers in, in the future as a global connectivity, multi-multi-multi-provider, multiple industries, multiple regions, multiple to, uh, you know, tools, devices, technologies, that sort of thing. But then we went a step further, and what we now call sort of core 3.0, right, this next era of core, because we've been around 20 years now, mm-hmm. is really to continue to simplify the complexities and, and make it easier for people to adopt IoT. Let's face it, the last decade has missed expectations by a lot, right? IoT has stayed stuck in hype land forever mm-hmm. and a day. Yes. Um, and so when you diagnose all the reasons for why that's happened, it's the complexity fundamentally. And we attack that complexity. So what we now talk about is not just connectivity, it's connectivity solutions and analytics, uh, sort of a one-stop shop for IoT. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And But you raise a really good point there is that IoT has been at the top of the hype cycle for a long while. I mean, to me as well, it's always been the IoT is, has evolved from M to M, right? Yes. And become IoT. And similarly, like 5G, if we turn the clock back three or four years to one of these events, there was all this speculation, all this prophesizing. This is what 5G is going to bring us. This is what IT is going to bring us. Driverless cars, driverless cars, driverless cars. And, yeah. you know, three or four years on, beyond all that hype, we're still in the first quarter of this next industrial revolution powered by 5G and IoT and edge compute and all these things. Right. So where do you see in that life cycle, in that hype cycle, where do you see yourselves now and what you do for IoT? Yeah, no, that's brilliant. I mean, look, it's, first of all, and I know that's not the politically correct thing to say, especially at this show, but we completely agree with your characterization of the situation, right? Yeah. Gosh, it was 2010 when uh, M2M was turning into IoT and and mm-hmm. and depending on the analyst, it was going to be 20 billion devices, 25 yeah, billion yeah, devices yeah. in IoT by, by, by 2020. Your dog will be connected exactly. by 2019. <laughs> yeah, that's right. CC is not connected car, it's connected cow. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. But so, so what happened? Certainly the first half of the decade, last decade, 2010 to 2015, 2011 to 2015, was we were just bumbling about. I mean, um, the carriers were putting out excellent networks, device manufacturers were making good devices, but we were leaving it to our customer to put the Lego bricks together. 
Mm -hmm. And that's just not a recipe for success, right? I mean, now look, you can't all make something as intuitive and easy to adopt and use as an iPhone or a, or a Facebook, you know, mm -hmm. from your prior uh, guests that have been on this podcast. But by golly, our customer deserves the right to be able to say, look, I just need this data. So can you just give me a device that gives me simple connectivity out of the box for the lifetime of the device? Mm -hmm. That is not an unreasonable ask. Yeah. And, and we have to deliver to them. Now, it turns out to be one of the most complex solutions. It's taken us three or four years of investing into our business, into eSIM technologies and all these different things mm -hmm. to get closer to that mission statement. But that's the mission statement we set ourselves from a connectivity standpoint. So look, yeah. here's what I'll say. The encouraging thing about the, the last decade is that the second half of the decade, we did start to see some acceleration, successful regional POCs and sort of proof of concepts and, and pilots are now leading to global deployments. We're learning from it. We've certainly set ourselves up as a company at the nexus of this problem. We're saying we will help you deploy, manage, scale, right? That's our job. No matter where you need to go in the world, we will make it work for you. So that's how we've been setting ourselves up for what I call the decade of IoT now, which is really now, 21 to mm -hmm. 2030. We think that journey is from 12 billion to 75 billion connected devices. Um, uh, one last word on 5G, because you also raised that. When we put our materials out there, including our recent investment deck going public, et cetera, we had 5G sort of out there a little bit. <clears throat> you know, it's like, I think it's centered around 2027 in terms of the peak of its impact and growth. And people look at me and say, what do you mean it's, it's still six and seven years away? I said, look, mm. the peak is six and seven years away, right? Yeah. Because it still needs to mature. Certainly for IoT purposes, it needs yeah, yeah. to mature. Having a 5G network in a dozen, two dozen, three dozen cities of a country doesn't mean no good because my IoT devices need to be everywhere. My customers' devices need to be everywhere. need to be global. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah. So look, we're getting there. We're getting better. But I've never been more enthusiastic. I've been a skeptic. I've been a, you know, maybe even a cynic. But I've never been more enthusiastic about IoT adoption as I am today, looking at the next five years with eSIM coming, with 5G coming, yeah. et cetera. And, and this is something that I, I pretty much we talked about with every guest. And I touched on it earlier when we'd speculate uh, about the use cases and all these magical things that can happen. Right. But when we look at 5G right now, it's pretty fair to say it's all about fixed wireless access. It's all about rural connectivity. So it's more connectivity. And then there's all these enterprise and B2B elements. But from your perspective, right. from an IoT perspective, what's the most interesting use, use case you see on the horizon? Yeah. So let me answer the question question, not from a use case perspective, right? Because I happen to, well, use case is a bit of an overused term anyway, isn't it, Matt? It's like, yeah. you know, what, what is, so what, what's the definition? What does it look like? Right. Yeah. And so to me, you know, if you took a use case really at the level of, well, let's, let's step back for a moment into 4G, right? When 4G showed up, sort of the first generation of the long-term evolution LTE, right? We suddenly had all this power at our fingertips and use cases, if you will, like uh, Uber and Airbnb and Sna I mean, Snapchat couldn't exist before that. These things yeah. happened that we hadn't dreamt of before. Yeah. And so part of me believes that when 5G truly hits, matures, and the entrepreneurial you know, environment gets at it, uh, we will see maybe even an order of magnitude more of true innovation than we saw with the 4G. Right? Yeah, I agree. So the so the interesting thing about the answer to the question, what use case are you most excited about is, I probably don't know mm -hmm. what that use case is, right? Mm. 
But here's how I'll answer the question from an IoT perspective. Probably the most exciting thing about 5G is the additional functionality the carriers are putting into this thing to make, well, back to my theme here today, IoT easier to adopt. Network slicing, private network with more software definition. Yeah. These things will give us more control. They give us more data privacy and, 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 and security. Uh, they, they give us more flexibility to, to foster that innovation, yeah. right? And so that's what's really powerful about 5G. I mean, look, a bigger pipe, great. I get excited about a bigger pipe. Lower latency, great. You know, not so many use cases really need that massive bandwidth or that mm -hmm. really low latency. But what our customers need is more flexibility and more of a solution mindset. And that's yeah. what's exciting. You mentioned before that the data and the analytical part, right? And my history with the company, I used to head up marketing for the big data division. Mm. And big data, six, seven years ago, was right at the top of that hype, hype cycle. And no one yeah. really knew what it was. And if people had different uh, definitions yeah. and representations of what it meant. From your perspective, you're taking the data now from IoT and from yeah. the connectivity devices what are, you, what are you doing with that data at this stage? Or what do you plan to do as these use cases materialize? Yeah, fantastic. So, you know, I said earlier, what we do is deploy managed scale, right? It doesn't matter whether the application is our Swoop Aero customer that uses our connectivity, seamless eSIM, satellite to cellular, on drones that, that deliver vaccines and the like to rural country, you know, rural parts of countries that are otherwise unreachable, COVID tests, you know, these sorts of things. Whether it's something as sophisticated as that or something as cool as uh, the little dog collar that we launched yesterday with our partners right. at Halo, right? When Cesar right. Uh, Milan was here himself. And I mean, the point is across all of these use cases, we help you deploy managed scale. Now that's the what. The how is connectivity solutions analytics. I said before, we were a connectivity shop. We're adding all these services and analytics. And so this analytics thing is this massive opportunity out there. So that's statement one. Statement two you know, it's sort of funny that you use the big data term, right? Because six, seven years ago, we were all talking about big data and the data lakes and so forth. Yeah. And, now, and Hadoop. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and now what you've got, right, Matt, is big data streaming all the time. It's, right, these 13 million devices that we at Core alone support, right? Yeah. It's big data coming at us all the time. And the technology you need just to be able to manage that far less far less translated from all the different protocols and, and languages it comes at you at into one usable format that your customer can use is a completely underrepresented, underappreciated part of, of our value proposition, for example, because we take the data off of the carrier or the satellite providers core network as quickly as we can. We encrypt it end to end and then we ship it back in the format the customer needs. And by the way, they might say, look, I need these 8, 10, 12 data elements to go to the Amazon cloud where I'm running this application. I need mm -hmm. this other stuff going here. I need a private VPN into my enterprise data warehouse with this. And it, it's, it's a lot of complexity there from, again, devices that could be anywhere in the world mm -hmm. trying to get you that data back. Yeah. Now, so far, we have focused on this problem, getting, again, I mean, my customers should count on us to make sure their solution works, that their connectivity management, device management, data management works to where they get the data so they can perform the analytics that they do, right? So it's their data, right? What we're getting excited about now, though, is a lot of customers are starting to look at us and saying, well, look, we sort of outsource a number of other services to you, right? In terms of IoT managed services, managing our devices, our connectivity. 
what if we also let you do X, Y, Z things with the data, right? And so that's where it starts to get really interesting. Um, but I will tell you uh, in the spirit of candor that we're in the very early nascent stage of the analytics part of our story. So connectivity solutions, analytics, yes. But, you know, analytics is just getting going. And a couple of years from now, when you invite me back, I'll yeah. tell you where we are. No, exactly, exactly, <laughs> totally. Now, the other thing, though, related to that, when we look at IoT and we look at all those forecasts, there'll be 10 million devices right. by this day, 20 million devices, a gazillion devices by this day. <laughs> but that opens up, obviously, the issue of security. So when you add all that extra connected devices, you add, you know, a gazillion entry points for nefarious individuals and their activities. How does your organization view or even deal with some of those potential security risks that are on the horizon? No, look, this is a fundamental issue. Um, 75 billion devices by 2030 is a great prediction, Romo, but that's 75 billion ways people can get into your network, right? Yeah. Fundamentally, that is the problem. And look, it's not about, oh, I don't have PII in my app or I don't have, you know what I'm saying? Personally, identify, um, uh, information that would be sensitive. The point is you can get in, right? Um, yeah. And And so we take security so seriously that it's, it's, you know, we have a seven-step deployment framework that we use with our customers. Okay, it's sort of seven big stages of an IoT solution deployment. And I like to say that, hey, if, if it's going to take you 18 to 24 months to sort through the ecosystem to get that launched, if you work with us, we'll get you there in 18 to 24 weeks. Right? That's the yeah. value proposition in a, in a thumbnail. But the very first of those seven steps is not just IoT strategy, it's strategy and end-to-end -end security. Okay, and it's deliberately said end-to-end -end security because I don't want you to just to quote design security in. Of course, I do, but I want you to think through every part of the of the solution, every part of that stack. Yeah. All too often, we think, oh, it's a secure SIM. That's why we love the SIM in the telco industries because it really does secure the carrier's network. Uh, or we might say, oh, let's go get that device to be secure, right? the firmware and so mm -hmm. forth. Well, that's just the beginning of it. Then there's the network. And there's the application layer, the data layer, et cetera, et cetera. Everything has to be secure. And then the more interesting, and, and, and let's assume for a second, whoever's building the application or if our customers are building the application themselves, that they secure that and so forth. It's now the edges and, and, and the stuff in between. Right? So one of the big problems in IoT is you put 10,000, 100,000, 200,000 devices out there, you lose control of them the minute you've sent them. You have no visibility to them, et cetera. And so we're now focusing on these, I'll call them fill-the-gap type solutions. So we launched a solution called Security Pro, mm -hmm. which is really leveraging network intelligence, right? Metadata that says, hey, this device usually only comes on twice a day, short burst sessions. Yeah. It's already come on five times today and it's only noon. Boop, based on a threshold, based on some rules that a customer has set, it warns you that there's something maybe off. Yeah. And then depending on, again, if it keeps going or the threshold is hit, you know, we may want to take that device offline. That Restoring that control back, because it could be nefarious activity, yeah. or it could be the grandkids visiting grandma and he took the SIM out of her continuous glucose monitoring, remote patient yeah, monitoring yeah. device, and is watching Netflix on it. We don't yeah, know what yeah. the cause is, yeah. but visibility is key. And so I think, you know, look, we take security very seriously. We want it to be end-to-end. -end. We want it to be DNA, device, yeah. network, application. And then we want to focus on some of the gaps that all our, all our customers are suffering with. That's sort of how we attack it. But I think that's a, a really good example of 
data analytics in play as well, because you're looking at data trends, and when something bucks the trends, boom, the alarm goes up. Well done. Well done. You see, there's a guy that knows data, because I just said I don't really do much with data. The fact is I don't do much with sensor data, because that data, the payload, is actually the customers. But to your point, I'm using metadata to provide more intelligence. We're actually using AI and ML techniques in here, Matt, to to get these insights back to customers. Absolutely. And sometimes it's not looking for a trend. It's looking for something out of trend. Exactly. That's when the alarm bells go off. That's that's exactly right. That's really cool. Now, what have you seen? Look, we're halfway through day two of this event. Yeah. I think it's been a great event. I've, I've, I've met some really interesting people like yourself. What have you seen so far at this event that's interest you, made you go, hmm, that's, that's an interesting perspective? You know, probably the most interesting thing to me is this sort of theme of, I'll call it forced innovation almost, right? Mm-hmm. Because in 18 months of the pandemic or 20 months or whatever it's been now, we've seen 20 years of innovation in areas like connected health and what yeah. we call connected health, healthcare and life sciences, you know, the area. Yeah. Um, but, but other use cases as well. And when put in a situation like we've been put in, the great indoors, yeah. the solutions that we have come up with are just, I mean, it, you know, I, I, I love going stall to stall, booth to booth, keynote to keynote, everything that I can possibly attend going, wow, that thing just wasn't even, we didn't even dream of that 20 months ago and here it is. So it's really cool. And I look, I love the connected impact theme mm-hmm. that the GSMA has been using, you know, the sort of what I call IoT for good. Yeah. Right. We yeah, yeah. we often forget uh, that we're in this industry where so much good can be done. I mean, you know, when I was with Cesar Milan yesterday launching the, um, uh, helping launch their, their Halo um, uh, collar. Yeah. You know, the fact I used in, 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 in the video that we were recording uh, when I was asked the question about how does this how does this fit the IoT for good umbrella, I said, "Look, uh, in the U.S. alone, ten million dogs run away every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A million of them are hit by cars. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. When you can just get on top of that problem, yeah. you're saving lives. You're saving dog lives, but yeah, those are lives. <laughs> no, you know, I, do you know why I love that example? With all the guests we've had." And they, they put in, a, a we talk about how technology is underpinning society, right. particularly in this last 18 months, this propulsion of digitalization that we've had to adapt to. Right. With my previous guests, we talked about tourism. Right. With my previous guests, we talked about the ports of LA and, and telehealthcare. Sure. But the dog thing, I've got to tell you this story, <laughs> Robert. I've got to tell you this story. Please. Years ago, um, I've got two dogs. I'm a dog lover. And when I lived in the United Kingdom, to take your dog out of the United Kingdom, it has to have a special chip that's associated against the passport to get in and out of the United Kingdom, which is of rabies. Sure. Now, when that chip failed for my dog, it couldn't come back to the UK and there was no full, there was no fallback mechanism. Mm. And I said, seriously, and I used it in an example and everybody laughed, but a connected dog isn't a crazy thing. It's not. Like you said, the, the statistics you put there, yeah. and we, we, we talk about society, but it is an import. And it's a great example because it's different. And uh, you know, how many dog owners are there in the United States? Millions. Right? Absolutely. So I, I, I love that example. I think that's another great example because the other thing is, like you said, technology can be a force for good, particularly in the last 18 months. What issues from, from a core perspective or from your own personal perspective do you think technology can continue to work on to improve those areas in society. So for example, Sampath from Verizon talked about the digital divide. 
We've talked to others who talked about climate change and carbon offsets. Sure. We've talked to others that have tried to address diversity. What's an issue that has sprung up yeah. or, or had a, been amplified in the last 18 months that is something that you think can, you can make a difference to? Yeah, so the, the one that we've gotten after with Gusto in combination again with one of our customers, I mean, I guess it falls under the umbrella of digital divide. That's a pretty broad term. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, how do you get to rural um, countries with poverty and all of that? How do you get fundamental basic care provided to these folks? Okay. Uh, and by the way, you don't have to go to Malawi. Uh, where we have two dozen drones flying, or the Democratic Democratic Republic of Congo, where in mm-hmm. uh, in combination with the Kembe Mutombo, who's a fellow resident in Atlanta, um, we launched uh, another nineteen twenty uh, drones with uh, with our customers, Swoop Aero, yeah. delivering vaccines and the like to the to you know these in, in tribes in these forests and these areas. Yeah. Um, my point is, it's not only those sorts of areas where this works. I mean, you wouldn't think the United Kingdom where you're from or Scotland specifically would have this issue, but it, but it turns out you do. It, it takes up to two days of right planes, trains and automobiles or canals more likely to get up to the Shetland islands up in the North. Yeah. yeah. And so how do you get a, how do you get vaccines up there? How do you get a test? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that that's, that's valid. Well, the drone cuts that flight time to 30 minutes, mm-hmm. right. And has yeah. a range of actually an hour and uh, and a hundred miles. And so, that's been one of the most personally gratifying because you're, 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 you're taking something to pe- to people that, that otherwise just would not have access yeah, to yeah, this. And yeah. if we can use technology to solve some of these fundamental human needs, yeah. boy, how much better of a planet are we? That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Now we're almost out of time, Ramal. I yeah. really like, uh, I think that's a great place to, to, to close, but I would like to ask you one last question. I yeah. ask all my guests, I think you alluded to it earlier. Uh, with, with the trip to Barcelona. But what have you done in the last 18 months that's given you a glimpse of normalcy? Obviously, these events are great. We're back face-to-face. But aside from that, what is it that you felt, oh, this it's feeling like there's a light at the end of the tunnel? Man. Yeah, look, I mean, I, you know, um, uh, Barcelona was a big part of it. For for yeah. me, I've, I've traveled a fair bit domestically. Um, so, you know, I, I wasn't one of these guys that sort of went into hiding. But but Barcelona was normalcy. It was it was international travel. It was the connection at uh, good old Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it and well. seeing that it was still just about as full as it ever has been, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, and yeah, you have to have some paperwork and you need to schedule in some tests. But I mean, get over it. Let's just do that. Put it into your schedule. It de-stresses you from everything you need to, you know. Yeah. And you just go about your business. And look, I mean, I. Um, had the good fortune of being taken to a uh, Michelin star restaurant in Barcelona. That that brought back normalcy. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, telling yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was like, yeah, baby, <laughs> <laughs> we can do this. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, listen, Rommel, I've really enjoyed our conversation. The time has flown by. We could have talked for another hour. Yeah. Uh, I'm really, uh, uh, really pleased we, we had this discussion. Uh, and I'd like, want to say thank you for joining The Great Indoors. Thanks for having me, Matt. Enjoyed it. So my next guest is the CTO of iKing, Taylor Scott. Taylor, welcome to The Great Indoors. Thank you so much. Nice to be here. Now, first of all, the first question I'm asking people, because we're all back face to face, 
How does it feel to be back? It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was that time we didn't know it would ever happen. So it's, it's beautiful to see it now. Oh, awesome. awesome. It does. I tell you, it's, it is great to be back. It yeah. really does feel great to be back. Now, what are you looking forward to seeing the most or discussing at MWCLA this week? So a lot of progress was made um, even during the, the COVID period on um, private networks. I, you know, we've been speaking about 5G for God knows how long. Yeah. And now there's actually finally private network deployments. A, a big thing that we've been working on is, is actually building and testing software applications and our holographic applications on those. Mm-hmm. So being able to actually see them working real time, CBRS, millimeter wave, even mm-hmm. in those back booths has been very exciting. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And tell us a little bit about the the holographic software that you're uh, developing. Because uh, that's, I saw the video on your webpage and we all just went, wow. Okay. <laughs> so if we can speak to you at LA, that, that would be wonderful. But tell us a little bit about the the, the software and, and, and the ethos behind everything that you do. So a, a big focus of ours is, is, and I think COVID has been a big highlight on the need for it, is changing the emotional engagement and perception of actual environments and, and software systems. So everything from communication to education systems, uh, we're currently working with medical systems. What we do is, is we take a very different approach to holography. So rather than using the goggle-based systems or the head-mounted systems that that tend, they're very interesting experiences, but they, they, they can be very limiting at times and they can have their, their issues when it comes to consumer adoption. So we do open field holography and we pair a unique polymerized system. So we, we sustain light by a, a, a methodology we refer to as optical stacking. So it's very bright ambient light. You can actually see it out in the booth today. You can okay. actually see a functioning model of it right. um, in very harsh lighting environments, no polarization, still be able to see a volumetric image. More specifically is we have a unique type of software that uh, is referred to as neuroadaptive. So we actually build a profile less about the technology itself and more about you as a person. So the hologram actually adapts to the way you prefer to move and actually function with the computers, with the software themselves. And wow. it allows the network to use really strong edge computation to create a more personalized experience. Wow. So, and you're demonstrating this here at, at LA. Indeed. Wow. So we'll, we'll definitely have to go and check that out. But give me a use case. Give me a real life example, because I think one of the things we've seen, like you said, in the pandemic over the last 18 months is this propulsion of digitalization, right? Yeah. The fact that technology has helped society continue, not, not normally, but yeah. continue. So what does the holographic software that I can develop add to that? It's a great question. For us, uh, and we recently published a white paper on it, we, we refer to it as a metric called emotional engagement per frame. And essentially, mathematically, we take, and we recently did some, some tests with children with infants. Right. So, so a cool thing about our system is the mobile version works via a, a specific mobile phone. So you can use a Samsung phone and you can use the, the holographic field. And we will put the exact same visual information, the visual stimulus in both fields. And the, the goal is to measure the amount of retinal interest that occurs between those two phases. Every single time, it's about 90% captured into the holographic field, even though it's the same exact visual footage as the mobile phone into that space. And what we've done is we've found through our research that it's, it's easier to digest for the brain in that state. So emotionally, it's more engaging and it's more pleasing. Wow. When you take that and you go into communication systems, it makes your communications with loved ones, whether it be, I mean, Zoom has been a fantastic tool. Without Zoom, COVID would have been significantly more difficult. Mm-hmm. But we see Zoom fatigue. We see that, you know, over time, we, we normalize to that to the point where it becomes um, difficult for us to continue with that process. So the greater we can improve the engagement on that side, the greater we can have experiences. For us specifically, we're excited about the medical and education side because engagement means more emotional interest. Interest is the key to retention of information. One of the things you can see right now on the floor is 
one of our explanatory systems on the medical side of how a physician would explain a cataract surgery to a patient. You can actually expand the model of the eye, see the animation okay. of the surgery, and volumetrically move in and out of the eye to understand what's happening. Wow. So it's a fully immersive experience. Fully. So, you know, education, the, the remote education thing that's happened over the last 18 months has been phenomenal from children all of a sudden having to, you know, learn at home, like you said, use Zoom or Microsoft Teams, get into that framework. But this holographic experience really lets them dive inside basically right. what they're studying, right? And it's, and it's a balance too. And that's why we began the company. So we, we, we started this, this really cool holographic visualization system. But what we found was that it's just as important to limit the amount of information that you're showing as it is to improve the amount of information. For example, what they're now finding through studies is that in VR environments where they're, they're, they're constantly building for more education systems that are very immersive, the more immersive they get, the less retention there is because they spend the first 20 minutes swiping Playing in the around. air, looking around. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so by the end of it, they actually retain significantly less information because it's overstimulating. So the brain mm -hmm. is a unique thing, especially from an optical perspective, because the optics, the, the neurotranslation of optics is one of the more complicated processes the brain does, sending optical feedback all the way to the back of the brain and going through a multiplicity of different systems. Yeah. So you can easily overwhelm the brain in that mm -hmm. system. So for us, it's being able to build this artificially intelligent profile of what does it take to get you to the optimum level of stimulation to where you'll retain more, you'll be more emotionally engaged, and you'll feel better without overstimulating you. So that's great from an educational perspective, but you also mentioned medicine there and healthcare. How can the software be applied to that vertical? Yeah, so one of our systems that we've been very passionate about, and it's specifically um, it geared within our, our military applications, but we're now in the process of taking it to, to be more of a form factor device for others, is to have a single entity from a, from, a, from a medical standpoint be able to rip apart, whether it be models, whether it be CT scans that we can virtualize into these holographic environments, and have a multiplicity of individuals, 20, 30, 40, 50 people with their own devices, being able to actually see not just the motion from that individual, but they can move around inside of it as they're moving it and mm -hmm. get their own personal perception of their education platform. So essentially a, an integrated environment that's immersive, but at the same time controllable via each user. And, and what about the consumer application? Yeah, so we're excited about this. So that's the, the, the hallmark product that we're going to be launching next year. And we're currently going into our beta. We refer to it as the RISE, R-Y-Z. Okay. And it's, uh, we, we, we took it a very different, unique approach to it. Instead of doing a standalone device, what we realized is people really uh, want to experience their existing content. There's, there's a tremendous amount of content that currently exists on your mobile phone. Mm -hmm. We can automatically translate that. Again, the, the value of having that AI embeddable into the phone. Uh, currently, we're partnered with Unity Technologies, so there's a, a plethora of applications that are currently being built and, and will be launched and are able to be translated into it. But you'll be able to real-time communicate using your mobile phone like you normally mm -hmm. do. There's not that gap into a whole new operating system. Mm -hmm. Or we'll take that existing uh, tethered network and we'll allow you to, to literally project yourself into the room with somebody else and then they can project themselves onto your mobile phone as well. Wow, wow. And how do you plan to, to sell the software? Is it to the service providers? Is it to the handset manufacturers? Is it direct to the consumer? What What's the business model behind, particularly for the consumer space? And then we'll look at the enterprise space for, for um, the holographic. Yeah, it's a mixture of both. Uh, from, from the B2B side, so we have, for our business solutions, we have a plethora of, of software functions that we provide them for, for unique solutions. Again, we have the device that you'll see out there, which is the ARC on the, on the floor today. Mm -hmm. um, that's more of our, our 
B2B sector. And we, so with that comes an operating function, operating system to them to actually create their own applications. When it comes to the consumer side, uh, we're right now we're, we have quite a few strategic partnerships and we're constantly looking for more where we'll, we'll allow them to embed the artificial intelligence into their existing applications. And then from there, they can provide a litany of services based on what they want. So, so really for an example, what we're currently working on is um, a, a form of social media that embeds a current AR into a holographic uh, environment system. So it's as simple as taking our AI as a as a, a background system, applying it to an existing AR library, and then pushing mm-hmm. it as an application. So it's a very seamless transitional process. So you mentioned AR there, Taylor, which is interesting. How does this sit with VR, where you put on the, the, the headset and you immerse yourself in, a, in an almost 3D world, does this replace VR headsets or does it complement? So it's, yeah, it's funny, when we, when we talk about replacing versus complementing, there's so many different fields. It, it's so hard to find a one-size-fits-all category for technology because mm. for me personally, I waited years to get VR yeah. And unfortunately, I'm one of the few people that as soon as I put on a headset, I'm on the floor <laughs> in the fetal <laughs> position just because I'm so incredibly sensitive to the nausea right. of those systems. Yes. But but my, my my brother can play it for hours and hours and absolutely love it. So yeah. it's hard to find that that one size fits all. The, the beauty of it is, is there's that middle ground of individuals who really want a new experience, but are very sensitive to the technology issues that come with that, but are also very bored. So for example, with AR, AR is really cool. I mean, when you think about Pokemon Go being able to enter into those experiences, unfortunately, the encumbrances of that technology of having to hold your arms up. And I remember we were dealing with a system uh, that poured millions of dollars into building an educational platform into AR. The reason why it wasn't successful is because children's arms were too weak to hold a phone for that long to be able yeah, to actually yeah. understand it. Yeah. And in VR, the same thing can occur is, is, is do you have enough time? Is it over immersive or do you have enough time to actually experience it, to learn something or to enjoy something without it wind up becoming an encumbrance? The beautiful thing about this system is it has zero encumbrances because it's a free open standing holographic system. You can look away, you can jump back into it. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it's enough like a computer's standard visual technology to where you can easily become comfortable with it. It has Z-axis depth, but at the same time, we're constantly adapting the entire environment to you. So as soon as you reach that point where it becomes an encumbrance, we're able to understand at what point do you wind up disengaging from the system, and then we can edit the render on the fly. So what's the evolution of, of the holographic display moving forward? Because I came from a handset background originally, right. and we went you know, up uh, you know, to HD and that even on the small screens went 4K. And then I was even part of a, a, a team that launched a 3D, LG 3D display, which yeah. is 3, 3D without the, 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 uh, the glasses. And then obviously we've talked about AR and VR. So the hologram, what, what's, the, what's beyond that? I love it. Yeah. So we have quite a few designs. It's a function of time for us is, is what we found is, is it, it, you have to give people mild stepping stones. That's why it was so hard to have the the mass of people jump into VR mm-hmm. is because that was a massive leap as far as an experience is concerned. Yeah. Um, and then you look at things like 3D, where where like 3D TVs, things 3D films, and and the the rather weak adoption of those. And yes. you, you, we dig into the psychology of why when when we were told this is what we wanted and we were all excited about it, and yet for some reason it's not as psychologically appealing. So yeah. for us, the future of this is some of our future of forward looking patents of being able to use dual access optics to create that genuine in-space field. Yeah. However, again, same with, with head-mounted goggle-based systems. 
we have to evolve as a species to get the computation and the battery management there. Yeah, yeah. Once it's there, we can we can really create that that optical, you know, open space, 3D, omnidirectional mm-hmm. um, mesh field that, that we've been been pulling for. It's a matter of of in the meantime, what we want to do is normalize the technology. So that's what we started with mobile. You can take the existing photos, videos that you have. It's very comfortable. It's very easy to digest. And then we build over time with the arc, creating more complicated systems to eventually mm-hmm. build that to where the average user isn't being asked to completely absorb a whole new system. It's really just an add-on to what they've been given. Mm-hmm. So here's a hypothetical, right? And, and in this season of, of podcasts, we interviewed uh, Danny Hernandez of Telefonica. He talked about holograms and, 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 and this capability, but he was just prophesizing, really. He didn't yeah. realize that this was... <laughs> an actual reality. And we've seen, we talked about it earlier, the, the, the video conferencing boom over the last 18 months, Zoom and Teams and Google Meets, mm-hmm. you know. Is there a, a scenario that you could envisage where we could be doing this podcast, but I could be a hologram? And I've just, I've decided to do this remotely from Toronto where I live, yeah. but I'm here represented as a hologram and it's a real, real experience. I've just is that a possibility as far as you can see? Yeah, the step one of that is currently being done in our communications demo on the floor. So right now you can take a mobile device with a holographic apparatus and then someone could be at our arc and you can actually have that real-time Princess Leia floating conversation, wow. real-time. Right. Uh, the, the, the key to that is, is um, not only is that going to be realized next year as well as in our beta that's going to be coming out this year, but it's only going to grow from our initial launch. The, the truth is, when it comes to that prophesizing of, of holography, the, the issue, the term hologram is so abused because its definition changes with the wind. Yeah. And, and the truth is when you say hologram, if you think about it from the, from an optical physics definition, I mean, it's it's really not interesting. A hologram isn't. It? I mean, a sticker can be a hologram right. and nobody's going to be laying down cash for a sticker at this yeah, point. Yeah. Um, but everybody's always going to go to that Princess Leia moment. They're going to go to that Iron Man moment, the Minority Report moment. Yeah. That for us is the hologram. And essentially that's you know being able to use optical light fields in a creative way. And the fact that we've pushed really aggressively to move away from the goggle-based systems has actually given us a leg up as far as realizing that data because it allows us to use a different form of processing. So mm-hmm. we can cur- use the existing processing power, the existing power management to create that exact system that you're talking about right now. And it's wow. only going to grow from there. Wow. Now, you've probably been asked this question a million times and you've mentioned it a couple of times, but... W- is what you've done here been influenced by Star Wars? And, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was a, I was a, a, I was an indoors child and didn't have many friends, so it was <laughs> it was science fiction, fantasy, and books, and it, and it wound up becoming somewhat of an obsession. And I was had the privilege of of being very fascinated with optical physics and, and electrodynamics, and so being able to work on even like stage show presentations, those holographic resurrection things like that, mm-hmm. really just had greater impact on my desire to create actual systems. And then yeah. the human integration side, I think is key being able to get someone's psychological perception amped up to the point where they're getting a really great experience in that light field. It yeah. just allows us to continually grow. Wow. Wow. And, uh, have the Disney, have Disney been in touch? We, we, yeah, we've had some, really? some delightful conversations. Yeah. Wow, well, great. That's <laughs> I'll cool. keep you apprised. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds really good. Now, um, as we get towards the end of this, I've really enjoyed our conversation uh, it's something I ask all our guests. Uh, we're face-to-face. This is finally the first big event the industry has mm-hmm. gone back to, and it's great to see everyone. But what have you done recently that's given you some joy after the 18 months of the crazy, topsy-turvy world we've lived in? You know, it's funny that you say that, and it's a, it's it feeds into our conversation about emotional engagement is we have now finally gotten to the point, even as, as a company at Icon, where our creative team, as we're going through these applications, can finally meet in person. 
and comparing and contrasting the effectiveness and the the social joy that you get just from being able to experience that mm-hmm. versus the the previous year that we've had it's and i think i speak for for most people it's insurmountable you you cannot compare the difference between that and that's really what we're trying to do with the hologram is bridge that gap there will always be a time now the world has really changed where we're going to have to be in some sort of a virtual environment rather than than than, yes. than fully in person but if we can bridge that gap and make that even just a little bit better, tremendous value, tremendous differentiation. Yeah. But being able to actually have that social experience, you think of how different it is to be able to, to experience. I mean, the majority of your brain's processing isn't even focused on what you're hearing as far as audio from an individual, but their minute body mm-hmm. language, whether their feet are pointing out or in or just small things about that. The brain yeah. is constantly looking for something to process and zoom completely cuts that off. It's not zoom's fault. You just don't have access to that information. Yeah. So the more information that we can get in person that we can, we can actually transport over in the hologram. That's what we're looking forward to. So that's why I'm, I'm happy to see even all the masses of people here. It's, 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 quite it's been exciting. really cool. It's been it. really good. And, and so what next, what next for you guys, as far as, announcements, product launches, what events are you going to be at next? What What's on the horizon as we... Yeah, so now if you go to our website, iconinc.com, we are officially taking an open call for our beta. So people can actually not only build applications for the holograms themselves, they can actually experiment with both the ARC and the RISE and actually testing both the communication function and the different applications that we're building now, specifically being able to take photos, videos, animated content of themselves and translating that on the fly into a 3D volumetric uh, experience so they can actually sit at our, our system and, and, and play around with it. Wow, sounds great. Look, Taylor, I'd like to say thank you for joining The Great Indoors here in LA. Thank I've absolutely loved our conversation. Same here. And uh, we'll speak to you again very soon. Absolutely, nice to meet you. Thank you very much. So it's the final day of MWC LA 21 and joining me today is the CEO and founder of Cleverfy, Mario Suave. Mario, how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. And uh, it's the final day uh, of this event. How have you found the event? Um, um, Well, first of all, I'm very happy with the fact that there is a physical event and that people came out here. And uh, this is just a, a sign that, you know, the world is uh, coming to, to a normal life. And uh, of course, we, had a, we can see that there is a little bit less people than uh, the previous events. But uh, I see, you know, some optimism and everyone is really happy to be here and be part of this great event. Great. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's like you said, it, 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 it feels a bit lighter, but it's a lot happier. Yes, because right, people are happy to be back. Absolutely. I see the smile in everyone. Everyone mm-hmm. is so nice to everyone. So tell us a little bit about Cleverfy and yes. what you do, Mario. I think you've got quite a story to tell us, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. So basically, I am an Airbnb host. I've been hosting guests ever since 20, sorry, 2008. And uh, I had like really hundreds and hundreds of guests in my Airbnbs. I have them in New York. And uh, what I realize is that people struggle with technology. You know, getting into an Airbnb, sometimes having issues asking for the Wi-Fi password, not being able to type it. And, you know, we're not talking about us, you know, businessmen that are used to travel. There's mm-hmm. like a, a whole category of family and people that just travel for vacation and 
the reality is they're not tech savvy. And unfortunately, like uh, accident happened, you know, like the internet went down, the router wasn't plugged by the cleaning lady. Uh, there's always like something wrong in, in the travel journey. And Wi-Fi is so important for people. Mm -hmm. yeah. And especially now that everyone is digital, you know, even the kids, they want to just open the laptop on, on a Chromebook and just get into their school, uh -huh. even if they're travel. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm an IT guy. I have 25 years of experience in building software and solution. And so I was thinking, how can I find a solution that makes it like seamless for the people that are traveling and at the same time, like uh, ensuring that Wi-Fi will work and that their experience is great. So I started to working on a solution and I did some tests and uh, it actually worked out really well. One question I will ask is, so when these people that are, are staying in your Airbnb have these problems, whatever they are, they call you, right? Yeah, they call me and most likely it happened Murphy's Law like on a Friday night when they check in and I'm out with my wife and, uh, you know, I got to tell my wife, sorry, baby, you know, like I have guests that, you know, just check in and they have mm -hmm. issue. They can connect to the Wi-Fi or the speed doesn't work or something is always wrong. So Murphy's Law, I had this call and I've been annoyed by the question, what's the Wi-Fi password? Yeah. I've, I put the sign of the Wi-Fi password pretty much in every room mm -hmm. and then people will still text me because they just check in, they go into maybe the, a bedroom that, you know, like they didn't look and they're still asking me, what's the Wi-Fi password? Because it's uh -huh. like, it's normal. Yeah. Every time you travel, that's what you ask. So I wanted to remove completely that. And my solution allows you to connect to Wi-Fi securely and automatically without having to ask what's the Wi-Fi password. Okay. And you don't need to install anything on your device. Zero. Okay. It really works just like at home. You know, your home and maybe your office are the two places where you arrive and you don't worry about like, uh, am I connected or not? Because your mm -hmm. phone will connect, your tablet will connect, your laptop will connect. You mm -hmm. don't worry about that. So I wanted to take the same exact experience, the just like at home experience, but everywhere. So okay. I created a technology that is now patented uh, in the US and in other country uh, that is called Wi-Fi portability. And uh, this is what powers Cleverify. So basically the way it works is that I will provide to you like a Wi-Fi for travel, okay? Like you have the one from home, the one that you have in the office, then you're going to have a Wi-Fi with a name and a password. You can decide what the password is for your travel. Mm -hmm. So you're going to decide as the dad, this is going to be, guys, you know, this is our Wi-Fi when we travel and this is our password. And, and you obviously register to my service, which integrates with Airbnb, it integrates with any journey on the travel, like an Uber or like an open mm -hmm. table reservation and et cetera. The Wi-Fi, your Wi-Fi will be there when you arrive. So after the first time, you know, when you came to New York and you obviously had to put the password at least once, like you do in your home, you put mm -hmm. it at least once. Then if you book another Airbnb, let's say that I have another one in Miami and you come to that one, you will have the same SSID and password. Right. The same Wi-Fi name and the same Wi-Fi password. Yeah. So the same thing will happen on Uber, on any any places where obviously are using my technology, the Wi-Fi portability technology. And um, so I am obviously interconnected with two sides, the Airbnb and all of the travel uh, reservation system. And on the other side, I'm connected to all of the hardware. So like the Cisco, the mm -hmm. Roku, all of the brand that yeah. manufacture router. And I deliver basically your Wi-Fi at the right time, at the right place. Okay. And what about the security of that then? Yeah. Good point. Security is a lot better 
when you do dynamic stuff, right? If you have an Airbnb, they always have the same SSID and the same password. You know, hacker, what they need is time. They need time to break into a Wi-Fi network. But if you keep changing it, because, you know, you book my Airbnb for two days and then someone else is coming in for another three days, I'm dynamically changing the Wi-Fi in the apartment based on the guest. Right. So the hacker don't have uh, uh, enough time to kind of like uh, get into it. And because it's your personal password, uh, you can change the password at any time. And it makes you really feel that this is a lot more secure because it's your password, your Wi-Fi everywhere. Okay. And, and how does that apply to other connected devices? So say, for example, we, we spoke this week with Qualcomm and with Core and, and with some of the, the, the IoT vendors. If you've got a billion devices connected to the internet, so in the scenario that we used before, there would be my four children. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't just be coming into your Airbnb with their four tablets. They'll now have their smartwatches. They'll have their smartphones, their tablets, all the other connected interfaces. How, how does your so, software work with? In, with in my scenario, as soon as they get in, they will obviously just turn on the laptop and they will be automatically connected to Wi-Fi. You know, mm-hmm. they haven't installed anything. I mean, that maybe you have to help the 40 years old to put the password once. Yeah. But you did it in New York, but then you, did, you didn't do it ever again. You know, if you go to Miami, to Dubai, to Argentina, whatever, you know, it will still connect. Yeah. With the IoT, home are becoming smarter and smarter. So I have a seven years old, yeah. okay? And I told her how to do Chromecast and uh, AirPlay, you know? Yeah. And when we go to grandma's house, her laptop, uh, sorry, her tablet uh, connects automatically, you know, because she, she's been there before. And she always looked like the, you know, the Chromecast or the AirPlay to try to put her YouTube favorite things on mm-hmm. the TV, yeah, right? Yeah. And I, I assume that every home on Airbnb, and which by the way, there are 7 million Airbnb out there. Yeah. Uh, we want to make an experience where people, they get in and uh, they feel like home. They want to feel like uh, easy. You know, they want to, okay, I want to watch my favorite Netflix movie. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to do it on the phone. I wanted to be able to click a button and connect to that TV to, do, to project my favorite sports game, my favorite mm-hmm. shows. And so my technology really helps making the similar experience that people know how to use it because that's uh, simulating like your home yeah. technology and just allowing you to, to use all of this. And Wi-Fi is always going to be uh, there because of the, the great speed that it can bring, you know, through fiber and mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's not a competition with 5G or, yeah. or IoT. They actually, we have to bundle all of this technology to provide the best experience for the user. Yeah. And who's, so you've produced this. It sounds great, Mario, and it, it makes the user's life simpler, more convenient. It makes your life more simpler and convenient. What's the business model behind it? How are you monetizing this particular uh, application? Yes. So basically, like, uh, we charge the Airbnb host, the property management, or anyone that want to use this technology in their business. So just to give you an example, uh, me as an Airbnb host, I got some really bad review uh, because of the Wi-Fi. And uh, obviously that cost me, you know, like it's there. Now that bad review is there. Basically, I will charge up per room yeah. or per like property. And uh, my idea is to actually have a freemium business model. I want to really help also the Airbnb host that are not tech savvy. There's 3.5 million Airbnb, Airbnb hosts that are just like moms and pops. They got an extra apartment. They got a extra 
house and they want to rent it out. Yeah. So I want to give them maybe like a freemium version, something that doesn't really cost a lot, but that will give them a lot of information. Like uh, if the internet goes down ahead of time or we can proactively open up a ticket with their ISP provider so that they don't have to worry about all of this. And then of course, if you are a property management company and you you have like a thousand apartment or 2000 home, you're a business. So you need to control and manage all of this property and ensure that the services work well. I will charge them between 99 and volume discount going down per year. Mm-hmm. It sounds really interesting. And for our listeners, where can they find out about you and, and Cleverfy and, and, and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, so I'll invite them to go to cleverfy.com mm-hmm. and to join our waiting list. And, uh, and you know, once you join our waiting list, we'll ask you to become either like an early adopter or if you want to uh, be an ambassador to help us out, give us feedback. Obviously, anyone that knows you know, anybody in this space, you know, we all know somebody that has an Airbnb right, and, yeah, and yeah. Is, a, is an Airbnb host. Yeah. Uh, we've been there and we made friends with the host. So anyone that can refer since we're at an early stage will be highly appreciated. What great conversations with Romil, Taylor and Mario. To see these innovations in real life, it's just amazing after being deprived of that experience for so long, but also seeing where technology is now, it's truly uplifting. It's one of the reasons we we love technology, and that is because of the demonstrable difference it can make, not just to our lives, but to society as a whole. So please subscribe to our podcast on all the usual podcast channels. Leave a review or rating if you feel so inclined. It certainly helps us. Check out two other Amdocs podcasts that are brilliant and available now. The Future of Tech with Abishai Charlene and Points of View with our CMO, Gil Rosen. Also visit our new and improved website. It's probably not so new now, but it's certainly improved. Amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors, where we have a ton of assets related to the series. Now, we'll be back next week for another Los Angeles special edition of The Great Indoors. I'm Matt Roberts for Amdocs in LA. And have a great day wherever you are.